All right. Hey, folks. I am not starting in the normal way today. Usually hear me say, welcome, welcome, welcome. But, you know, things just don't seem normal. Um, so I guess it's times like these that it's that much more important to try and talk politics and religion without killing each other. Literally. Um, as maybe some folks can recognize, I'm your host, Corey Nathan, and I'm really grateful today to be joined by my brother from another podcast, or uh, <laughs> Mishpocha with a different brocha. Um, <laughs> I just came up with that on the That's fly. That's great. I love it. Um, I grew up Jewish, became a Christian, and my good friend Adam Epstein is Jewish, as he said. Um, how, how would you describe it? Oh, yeah. I mean, I am a agnostic Buddhist Jew. I almost spit out my coffee uh, when you just but, said that. <laughs> but what does that mean? So your listeners know it means at the end of the day, right, when the Jewish homeland is threatened and Israel is on the table, I am as Jew- Jewish as it gets, not religious – and we'll talk yeah. about that. Actually, the Zionist project wasn't originally religious. It was a. It was about um, identity and freedom, and you know. So yeah. that's changed a lot in Israel. But we'll get into that. But yeah, I mean, I I I feel very close to my Judaism because I feel more vulnerable as a Jew than ever. Every time, any time, uh, Israel's attacked, or you know, the rise in anti-Semitism we've all been seeing has been really searing to me. So while I have doesn't hasn't sent me to shul. Uh, it is sending me, which is temple for those that don't know. Um, I am actually going to a little mini Shabbat service tonight with two friends uh, just to say the yeah. prayer and have a moment of meaning. So that I hope yeah. that answers the question there. It's interesting. Yeah. I, I decided to go to a Chabad tomorrow morning for Shabbat services. Oh, there you go. Look at you, Corey, um, going back, going back to the roots. I, it's the boomerang. Yeah. It's the Jewish Well, boomerang. you are the Judeo-Christian like nexus, and that's really what's going on here. I mean, Israel is the holy land for Christians. I mean, it's not – and Muslims. I mean, it's not – you know, it has real deep meaning for all the Abrahamic religions, you know? I, that's a deeper conversation because I think if we rewind to first century, that, that region mm. – uh, Yeshua ben Yosef was seen as like another rabbi, albeit one that some of his followers were saying was Mashiach, mm. uh, but a rabbi nonetheless who was had competing claims to some of the zealots and the uh, obviously the Pharisees and mm. and um, other other groups at that time. So anyway, um, mm. just to kind of uh, introduce my friend, my audience, and our community to you. Um, Adam's doing work, and, and this is a simulcast, by the way. So the talk of politics and religion without killing each other crowd is listening, and the dirty moderate crowd is listening. <laughs> um, so Adam, as I've already alluded to, Adam's doing work that's very much in common cause with what we're doing here. Um, it's not just a podcast, by the way. It's a whole platform called Dirty Moderate. Uh, so dirty. You know, look at this. We're both wearing purple. I got my purple mug. Corey, but you know why? When you have, we both have white hair, and you gotta wear purple's a great color for us. So you're wearing the right color. Oh, okay, that's why I, I love. It that. I, I always wear like a lavender or purple because it looks good with uh, with my uh, oh, that's my locks. Yeah, you too. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. There you go. Okay, yeah, it's a gray haired gray haired folks. Um, so, like I said, some folks will be listening on the Dirty Moderate platform. Some will be listening talking politics and religion without killing each other. So before we dive in, Adam, would you mind introducing yourself to the TPNR crowd a little bit about your personal background, your professional background, 
and all that that you're doing as the dirty moderate that you are. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. For, first of all, thank you for having me. And I can't think of a better person to talk about this with because you and I always have really great conversations. And our conversations tend to always be somewhat religious, political anyway in nature. you know. And so this is a great overlap. So thank you. So um, again, thanks everyone for listening on, on this simulcast. Uh, dirty moderate was created – um, to borrow from Corey's introduction because nothing was seeming normal. Nothing for the last, I think, eight years or so since Donald Trump came down the escalator seemed normal. Um, I'm originally from Miami. I was educated at NYU and Brown University. I spent my first uh, act of my life, which Corey knows well and loves, on Broadway as a award-winning producer for Hairspray, the musical, and many other shows like View from the Bridge and The Crucible. Um, but I worked on Capitol Hill as an intern during my summers in undergraduate. Uh, worked at City Hall as well. I stayed very connected to politics because I had twin loves, theater and politics. And when I say politics, I think there was a time maybe that uh, the idea of being in legislative politics entered into my mind, but I really wanted to be in the world of communication and ideas and to the point of dirty moderate, being able to have conversations, something that the, the country as riven as we seem and toxically partisan as we seem seems to elude us. You know, everybody's in a silo or or many people are walled off from talking to other people. And so though I was raised in a Democratic family, my grandfather was a delegate to um, Adlai Stevenson in 56. He was a Florida macher who uh, helped Hubert Humphrey. And well, Hubert Humphrey lost in 68, but he was his Dade County campaign manager. But he helped a lot of Florida politicians. People may know Lawton Childs, Bob Graham, Leroy Collins all get elected. He was the first, my grandfather was the first Jewish circuit court judge ever in the state of Florida. Oh, wow. Yeah, in 1959. And so um, I, I, I kind of think I came by politics naturally, given the family I came from, but I became disillusioned with parties, even the Democratic Party, because I think even in a normal world, as abnormal as Trumpism is and dirty moderate is a function of being politically homeless, we say we're your port in a political storm. I think I find common cause with you, Corey, with Lincoln Project, with people like that who probably are a hybrid somewhere in the center of things. Um, I probably tilt a slightly center right. You know, I might fit pretty well in like the British Tory party, but we don't have that. We have an authoritarian cult. Um, (laughs) So I think being politically homeless has been interesting. It's a challenge, but it also has allowed me a certain amount of freedom I felt I didn't have when I was a Democrat to really go after a lot of the things on, I'd say, the mainstream liberal left and far left that I really disagree with. But hopefully in good faith, hopefully without malice, um, certainly some of the progressive takes on Israel have – earned my ire this week that's more than me just thinking it's worthy of disagreement i think it's been pretty downright contemptible it's another story but um i certainly stand for anything but trump i think we as a podcast um created what is really called dirty moderate and dirty moderate nation which is our twitter and our tiktok it's all at dirty moderate nation on tiktok by the way and at dirty moderate on twitter two different handles but i think the um cause of Israel and standing by Israel, someone said, you know, how are you going to thread this needle, which is why I'm happy to talk to you. And I said, well, we are a never Trump, never Hamas, always democracy podcast. And if, as far as I'm concerned, Israel is the only reliable democracy 
in that region. And if I'm committed to democracy, I have to be committed to Israel. I think I'd feel that if I weren't Jewish. But certainly since I'm Jewish, I feel it in my kishkas, which is a saying Yiddish for guts. It might be Hebrew, but I think it's Yiddish. Uh, for guts. And, um, you know, and I think, I, I think it's hard not to, to see what's going on and, and, and have at least a moral position on the murder of things. You know, I understand there's a, there are two sides in this conflict that's been raging on really for thousands 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 of of years years. but even from the early 20th century you know from the ottoman empire and stuff all the way to now so there's a lot of complicated history um but we at dirty moderate try to facilitate conversations discussion democracy we always say depends upon our discourse authoritarians want us to um have have apathy and to fight you know that's in their interest to be completely divided and you know for lack of a better term if we can build a bridge to people that we disagree with or many that we agree with or just find a place where people don't feel they have to claim a partisan allegiance before saying something i think dirty moderate is that um is that wellspring is what i would say yeah yeah dirty moderate i love the dirty part (laughs) right um so by way of uh, a, a lot of folks at TPNR obviously know me, but um, for the dirty moderate folks, I was um, I started out on the East Coast, grew up. My family's all from Brooklyn. I grew up on the Jersey side. Proud Jersey boy. Uh, I started out as a stockbroker during the day going to a theater conservatory at night. Uh, so very much like Adam, I had this kind of combination of business and, and the arts um, when I graduated from the conservatory, I quit my job as a broker and I started producing theater, albeit at a much smaller scale than Adam did. It was mostly like 50 to 99 seat theater <laughs> and, you know, whatever space we could afford to convert um, in mostly in Chelsea and in, in New York. Uh, but we had a great time because we did Shakespeare and Tennessee Williams and Chekhov. Uh, I came out here in 95, uh, S- Southern California to continue producing theater um, but then also uh, got into a little bit of independent film. And um, I've had different endeavors. My, my film endeavors evolved into a business that I've had since 1999, a specialty headhunting small-scale mergers and acquisitions firm. Um, and uh, I've, had, you know, I've been a, a creative entrepreneur over the years. And when I heard uh, – I've been very engaged – uh, the other part of the that, that's important to the story is that I grew up in a very observant Jewish family. We went to an Orthodox synagogue, but in my late twenties, I became a Christian, um, and, and that might seem like a purely religious story, but it's actually not. It's both religious and political. Because when I became a Christian, I obviously had to have very difficult conversations with my family about religious theological convictions that I'd arrived at. Meanwhile, I started going to church. Uh, here in Santa Clarita, which is dominated by this guy. Um, this whole valley is dominated by this guy named John MacArthur and churches that were planted or affiliated with uh, Grace Community Church. And it's like, I'm going to sound like I'm oversimplifying, but like if you say fundamentalist Christian, fundamentalism is way to the left of Johnny Mac. <laughs> so, you know, their, their position is if you don't believe in six literal 24-hour days, you're really not a Christian. And, you know, you, you can derive uh, a lot of other assumptions from there uh, all play out to be true. So I found myself very much at odds, partly about that, because I, I was taking – I grew up studying Torah. 
um, and, and Haftorah, you know, and um, and when I became a Christian, I read it. Uh, I, I was already reading it very seriously, and then I started reading um, not just Hebrew Bible but New Testament. Obviously, I was taking it very seriously, and I was reading some very different things. But what was really striking to me as early as two thousand, at least as early as two thousand two, is that a lot of my friends that I was in a Bible study with or going to church with. And then eventually my kids were going to a Christian school, that community, what they identified with and what was clearly primary to their identity was different than the theological convictions that brought me to Christianity. The theological convictions by which I was compelled to follow this Jesus, this Yeshua uh, ben Yosef, um, the primary identifiers to a lot of those folks were, again, oversimplifying here, but basically, if there was something on Fox News or Rush Limbaugh or one of the prominent conservative radio shows um, or the media complex, more broadly speaking, if there was an issue that was at odds, directly at odds with scripture, Fox News would win the day every time. Um, and, and I got myself into a trouble uh, over the years, many, many times, been literally kicked out of Bible studies, was told to leave a, a couple's retreat, um, partly just because I'm an asshole, <laughs> but uh, partly because a lot of times I would say, hey, guys, I, I know you took this shard, this little faction, fractured, fragmented piece of scripture to try to support something that you already decided upon politically and socially but if we just keep reading the rest of that verse, and certainly if we read the rest of that chapter, I think you'll find it says something very different. Um, so anyway, that's a long way around the barn of telling my story. Uh, I fell in love with the podcast medium in 2018 from the very first time I listened to one. I'm sure probably like me, Adam, you have like a producer's hat that you wear and like your brain just kind of kicks into that gear. Literally, I think it was a Mark Maron interview that I listened to. Mm. Finally figured out how to listen to a bot because I'm an old guy, I got gray hair. It took me a while to figure out how to listen to one. But as soon as I did, it, my producer hat kicked in. I'm like, wow, the conversations we could have, the stories that we could tell. And literally within several months, I started producing my first podcast, which was uh, more... Uh, more had to had to do more with my specialty in the entertainment industry, the trailer industry, the coming attractions, entertainment advertising. Um, but in twenty by twenty twenty, I really thought that this would be a great medium to engage in these important conversations. So much longer way of telling my story. I apologize. Actually, you, um, you I wanted to jump in when you mentioned you know what Fox does with scripture. I left out that I. Uh, uh, prior to having my own podcast, uh, I worked as a political commentator. For I was considered a liberal on Fox. I was at exclusive. Oh, wow. I was exclusive to Trish Regan Prime Time. She was Fox Business five nights a week at eight p.m. Uh, eight p.m. East Coast, and I went on every Thursday for a year. And uh, it was a great experience. Trish actually was uh, our first guest on the podcast. We did a little flip. Um, but to your point. Fox takes just the kernel of something and runs with it. And so what I learned was to take what where they find that sweet spot of just that little, you know, you know, excerpting a verse in your case, my case taking an issue that could be relevant small and then turning it into full on propaganda. So I always navigated those rocky shoals. You know, I always would have to come back and say, "Well, yeah, I think it's bad that Congressperson X says they're for the green new deal and how dare they drive a 
a gas-guzzling SUV, they would say stuff, well, what, are they hypocrites? I'd say, yeah, I think they probably are, but you have no plan for climate change or you deny it completely and have nothing on offer either. So, you know, you have no agenda. So at least this person's putting forth ideas. <laughs> you know, you have to sort of, you know, uh, they would just basically say the Green New Deal was no good because so-and-so is driving a gas guzzler. It's like, okay. You know, and spend yeah. six minutes on a segment on that where you'd have to say, right, but that's is still not the point, you know. So <laughs> Yeah, the ad hominem uh right. and, and dismiss oh oversimplification of, of complex issues. So speaking of ad hominem, oversimplifications, yes. vilifications, wow. We're in the thick talk, talk about Rocky Shoals. We're in the thick oh, of yeah. it right now. So yeah. um Adam, I think you've done a little bit more work on the history of uh the Palestinian Israeli conflict. Um, however far back you want to take it. I mean, we could go back to yeah. Abraham's no. uh, two sons. I, I always – e- even just uh, the last few decades. Yeah, perhaps. I mean, well, I think I think it's just good to have like the background because I think that, um, again, they're, they're – like everything in a 24-hour news cycle, it's such a deluge. you know. And this be, – this, not that news and, and politics isn't complicated. This, this kind of history is really complicated uh, despite maybe where we are right now um, or maybe in light of where we are right now. Um, so obviously Arabs and Jews have been living in the Holy Land uh, ever since it was even ruled by the Ottoman Empire. You know, For those that don't know, the Ottoman Empire came into existence in 1453, I believe, under Constantinople. Uh, well, Constantinople fell, excuse me, and uh, to the Turks, and um, it was in existence till the end of World War I. Okay? So the Ottoman Empire collapsed around then, and one of the winners of that war was Britain, right? And they took over. Um, what the Ottomans had ruled, all which is like is just so much of Arab and Israel land now, lots of Asia, etc. Okay, and during this period, there was a tremendous amount of immigration, Jewish immigration from Europe to what was then called Mandatory Palestine. Okay, mm-hmm. under British rule, and this happened especially in the early 30s when there were many Jews who saw. Uh, and wisely got out of Nazi Germany. Uh, they saw it was happening, were able to go to Palestine. My great-grandfather was one of them. I never met him. He died before he was born, but he left Poland, um, or what was the border of Poland and Russia to go there. Um, but res- there was a lot of resistance to Jews moving into land that uh, we'll get into this later too, that was in many cases historically theirs, um, not just biblically, historically. Um, and there was a lot of revolt and a lot of bloodshed where a lot of Arabs and Arab populations resisted this. And, you know, we're going into the 30s now. We're not even into the creation of Israel. So in, in an effort to kind of squelch this violence, there was a British commission in 1937 created, um, which which recommended what ended up happening by the UN in 1947, which was partitioning Palestine into two states, um, one Arab and one Jewish. The United States embraced a bit of a different plan in 47, but same idea. And then it was that plan was immediately rejected by the Arab world. It led to Israel's declaration of independence in 48, okay, and the first Arab-Israeli war. So as soon as Israel was we got to go back, and it's important for people to listen who, uh, who often have a f- kind of f- uh, facile understanding of history. I don't mean that rudely, or have a presentist view. You know, they see everything through today or through the Trump era as if there was no history before 2015. So, anyway, right. um, anyway, this period produced about more than a half a million Arab refugees. So it's you know, it, there's a lot of displacement going on. Okay, now 
who are the Palestinians? I was like, I made a little list for myself so we can go these terms are basic, but let's go into them. In the 1967 wars, this is about 19 years into Israel's existence as a state, Israel captured, among other Arab territories, people may remember, the Gaza Strip from Egypt and the West Bank they took from Jordan. Okay? Uh, I mean, they were attacked, but they... Right. These were the spoils of war. It put residents of those areas known by this time as Palestinians. Remember, Jordan was occupying the West Bank. That's they were they were essentially there for a long time. Put them under military occupation, fanning a lot of nationalism among these groups. Okay, Hamas, which by the way is the Islamic resistance movement. It's the Arabic acronym. I don't exactly know how it, but H-A-M-A-S is an acronym for the Islamic Resistance Movement, was founded in 1987. So again, 20 years after the Six-Day War of 67, okay, yeah. during what was called the Intifada, which, is, which means uprising. This was the first Palestinian uprising um, in 1987. This was a spinoff of another Muslim movement. I just feel like I should break this down so people know, which was Egypt's Muslim Brotherhood. I think many people have heard of them. If you haven't, they famously were behind uh, the murder of Anwar Sadat, who made peace with Israel uh, and Menachem Begin in 1978 in the Camp David Accords, Jimmy Carter's, I think, crowning achievement. Um, The Muslim Brotherhood was also a deeply religious Islamist political movement. Uh, It gained a lot of popularity, too, among Palestinians because what – um, Hamas did uh, Hamas did again popularity is they began to do what a lot of uh, authoritarian groups do where history has shown us this they established a network of charities that dealt with all the poverty in the region and health care and educational needs and of course they uh, that they did that while they launched a huge campaign of suicide bombings and other violent attacks on Israelis so you know I mean you know most dictators have a tendency to feed the poor dictatorial regimes even if they murder lots of people. So what does Hamas want? Well, the main goal originally, the main goal of Hamas now, they have a revised charter, which was issued in 2017, is the destruction of the state of Israel. Okay, people can do their own research. This is not propaganda, but that is true. The document itself, the current document describes all of the Holy Land as what they call an Arabic, excuse me, an Arab Islamic land and says Hamas rejects any options other options, but it's, quote, complete liberation, okay? Now, according to the revised charter, the group's conflict is with the Zionist project, not with Jews per se, which the original charter was. The original charter in 87 said the day of judgment will not come, this is a quote, come about until Muslims fight the Jews and kill them. Current Hamas, though they reject any notion of a of, a, of an Israeli state and do want them wiped off the map, they claim that they differentiate between Zionists and Jews. I think that's a false distinction, but that's what they say. Okay. Well, for, for context, yes. um, just there, there was a, an event in my town in Santa Clarita where a number of my friends, uh, my Jewish friends and, and other allies, um, sympathetic allies con- convened at the city hall and really it was a day to, or a time to mourn together, mm-hmm. to grieve together, uh, to talk things out, to make sense out of what makes no sense out of insanity. Um, and the fa- just the fact that they gathered, um, mm. there were a number of trucks, uh, pickup trucks and people shouting uh, from the river to the sea. From, which is, which um, is a, a euphemism chant. chant. It's not even a euphemism. Well, it, people think it's just 
a benign statement. It actually means we will control from the uh, Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea. And and and, it, and they were shouting literally, "You're going to be wiped out. Right. You we you're you're going down. You're you you know." So they were there to mourn, and then th- there are these people. Uh, you know, whether they identified as Palestinians or, you know, I, I don't know. But, you know, they were there to mourn and to mm-hmm. hug and support. And there were these people waving flags and shouting and threatening uh, from the river to the sea. And you're going to be wiped out. Uh, so it's uh, it's an extension of, of exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, I, that's right. And so, for example, um, the latest Hamas charter says, we quote, resisting the occupation with all means and methods is a legitimate right guaranteed by divine laws. So again, mm. you know, battle of theology at work, of course. Um, there was an early September poll in the Gaza Strip in West Bank recently, so I guess a month ago or so, that suggested – I don't have the source of that poll, but I, I, I can get it later um, – that if given a choice in legislative elections, 34 – this is important – 34% of Palestinians would vote for Hamas, but 36% would vote for Fatah. Fatah, F-A-T-A-H, is the main faction of the more secular PLO. People may remember the PLO run by Yasser Arafat. Okay, uh, they, were the, they were a guerrilla group that made peace with Israel in 1993. So the, they can, they're in the West Bank while Hamas is in Gaza. There was a civil war back in, I believe it was 07 or 08, where they fought it out and Hamas won because the Palestinian Authority was sort of sidelined. Uh, they're run by Mohammed Abbas. Um, and they um, – uh, I guess you could argue they're more moderate, but Arafat rejected all attempts at peace too. So it's just hard to say. But anyway, Zionism. Let's go to that. When I describe myself as Zionist, it's a movement that originated actually in Europe, like late 1800s, um, and it uh, was a response to anti-Semitism, obviously. Uh, It proclaimed that there should be an establishment for the Jewish people. Um, It was actually named after a hill in Jerusalem in the Old Testament. Corey, you know, the hill of Zion. Yeah, Uh, Zion. Zion. A Zionist is basically defined in modern-day terms as someone who supports the development and protection of Israel. The Gaza Strip, which is in the news right now, very important, is about a 20 – it's a very small enclave, about 25 miles. Um, it, it, the Mediterranean Sea is, is – bounds it, and then there's Israel and Egypt sharing about that 25 miles uh, – sorry. The Mediterranean Sea is here. Israel is here. Egypt's here, and there's, 20, there's 2 million people in that 25-mile radius. They live in often very crowded conditions. That's what's going on right now. For about a decade, Gaza was, as I was mentioning, governed by the Palestinian Authority, Okay, uh, who under the Oslo Peace Accords was in charge of them. That was signed, like I said, in 93. Bill Clinton brokered that with Yitzhak Rabin, who was assassinated famously, and PLO Chairman Arafat. But yeah, this is very important. In 2005, Israel withdrew troops, all their troops, and abandoned all their settlements from Gaza. They are not ruling Gaza. Hamas has ruled Gaza. Like I said, there were Palestinian – there were legislative elections the next year. Okay, Hamas was voted in. They defeated the PLO, PLO Fatah, kind of the same thing. And after months of infighting, as I mentioned, Hamas took complete control of Gaza in 2007. All right. Israel has maintained control of Gaza's airspace and sea ter- maritime territory now, along with Egypt, and has enforced a blockade of it for security reasons. So Egypt blockades it as well. Okay, You don't hear about Egypt, and you okay. don't hear that Israel isn't ruling Gaza. Israel does not rule Gaza. Okay, And Israel also isn't responsible for all of their electricity and power either, but that's another story. They are responsible for some. Okay, so 
I just wanted to, you know, point that out because um, then you've got, you know, the West Bank situation, right, which is not involved in this war, but I think it's worth discussing. The West Bank is, a, is, a, is landlocked between the Jordan River at, well, a little bit west of the Jordan River, and there's about three or three and a half million Palestinians there. It's also home to almost half a million Jews who've created settlements. Many of them are Orthodox Jews who see the West Bank as the holy Judea and Samaria, as it's referred to in biblical in the, in the Bible, um, and the historic homeland of the Jews and believe Israel should annex it. That is God uh, motivated as well. Uh, the Palestinian Authority exercises a, a very limited autonomy in the West Bank because Israel has control. That was laid out in the Oslo Accords, by the way. Um, but the agreements were meant to be kind of interim agreements where the two sides could negotiate what they would say was a final status. We heard about this for many, many years. This had, not in a long time, but we, but they used to be, oh, you know, this is temporary. We're going to go back to the table. We're going to discuss Jerusalem and what's going to happen with that. And that's just when it when it's come to be. Nothing happens, and oftentimes it doesn't come to be. Um, they've repeatedly failed with this. Uh, the, the issues have been what are the borders? How, what, how do they share Jerusalem? What is the status of Palestinian refugees? There have not actually been a serious round of talks since 2014. Okay. So that's kind of where we are, Bill. I will say in 2000, Bill Clinton was the last to deal with Arafat. I don't remember if Arafat died in 0405, but that was kind of toward the end. Bill Clinton and then Prime, Israeli Prime Minister Ehud Barak were willing to give back about 92, 93% of the West Bank and make a serious peace deal. He went through a lot of struggle. Um, it looked like it was going to happen. There was going to be a two-state solution in actuality. Arafat rejected in the end. Bill Clinton famously called Arafat a liar. That's not uh, – you can look that up for yourself um, – and scuttled the whole thing. And it, that really could have been a different situation. Um, but, you know, um, here we are 50 years after the Yom Kippur War, which I didn't mention, which was 1973 when Israel was attacked on the holiest day. Um, and again, thanks to the Nixon administration's airlift of weaponry and supplies arguably saved or inarguably saved. Golda Meir always said any Jew who doesn't vote for Nixon's crazy. <laughs> and oh. Nixon didn't really wasn't known for his fond attitudes of Jews, and also did not really win a large percentage of the Jewish vote in the sixties and seventies. But anyway, I don't know. So, so is that is that enough background, or is that it is? Okay. It's very helpful because I knew you you, yeah. you dove into yeah. you, you've studied the the history over the last fifty plus years. Yeah. I'm forty nine. Uh, I'm not yet fifty. I, you don't look a day older than 73. Ah. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it. I'm just, that's what people say about me. Oh, no. I'm a little bit older than you. So I thought it would be important because there's some narratives that are being used to justify unjustifiable be behavior. Yeah. So I thought it'd be interesting to color in some of that history sure. with my personal family history because that is something that I've – Which I don't I've, know um, about. I'd love to hear it. Yeah. So um, – we, what we have been able to surmise is that my, um, my father's ma – the, the maternal side of my father's family is, uh, is from Cherny, what's now Cherniostrov, Ukraine. Uh, at different times, it was considered Poland or Prussia or Russia. Mm -hmm. um, but now it's in the part of Ukraine that's called – it's a town called Cherniostrov. Um, and we can we can surmise that they were there from between eight eight hundred and a thousand years. So some of what you were talking about the Ottoman Empire, 
Um, and, and specifically when that fell, it makes sense because it lines up with personal family history that I actually know even more. Um, so one um, one of my family members that my brother and I knew very well uh, is Uncle Sal Krival. Um, in, in Russian, I think it's Krivalya, or uh, I don't know how you say it in the original language, but Sal Krival. Um, uncle Sal was my grandmother's uncle uh, on her father's side. Um, and Sal, I, I think... If I had to guess, I would guess he was born around 1898, 1899, mm. uh, because he was a young man uh, just coming into uh, of age um, at the end of World War One. He and his brothers were all very active. He, in particular, mm. was active as an early Zionist. I don't think it was called that yet. Um, it may have been based on the history that you're sharing, but he was an early activist trying uh, to help with the formation of the Israeli state. Part of what he was doing, actually, is that one of his brothers was recruited, if you can call it that, Mm. uh, subversively and coercively recruited into the Tsar's army. Uh, There was another brother who was very active with the early Bolshevik movement. Um, But interestingly, uh, by the end of World War I, what was emerging was that they, they had already suffered through uh, years and years, decades of Cossacks uh, coming through uh, and, and uh, having to suffer through pogroms. Mm. Uh, houses would be burned down. Women would be raped. Uh, my grandmother tells a story. Uh, her her little neighbor friend um, uh, came out of her house after a pogrom. Usually it was after Easter. Mm. Uh, those were when the worst pogroms would happen. And her little friend was holding the heads of her parents in her hands. Her parents were beheaded by the Cossacks. Um, so that was just one of many, many stories that I'd heard. Um, but my grandmother was old enough to remember, you know, what was going on and, and the trip over here. But by 1919 or 1920, as my grandmother put it, it was the Cossacks and the Bolsheviks and the Tsarists. They were all fighting with each other. But one thing they could all agree on is they all hated the Jews. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I laugh like it's a dark humor. But um, that's why they had to leave mm-hmm. where our family had been for like 800 to 1,000 years. Yeah. Uh, so they ultimately – Uncle Saul was uh, looking into uh, whether uh, what had become Israel 20, uh, 20 or 30 years later – would be viable for them. They decided that Newark uh, and Brooklyn, uh, they already had a, some family there. Uh, so some of the family settled in, in Newark uh, and some of the family ended up in, uh, in, in Brooklyn. Um, so 1920, uh, March 3rd, 1921 is when our ship landed on Ellis Island mm-hmm. um, and that part of the family ended up here. Now, another part of my family uh, had come from Romania and Poland, my mother's side of the family, the Mertics and the um, uh, the Mertics and the Kleinfelds. Uh, but some of that part of the family stayed in Europe. Right. Uh, so some of them ended up going to Israel. Uh, many were decimated oh, yeah. uh, in the Holocaust. Yeah. Uh, but the, um, a, a small handful um, who survived did end up coming to New York. But some of them ended up in Israel because mm. that's when Israel was founded. Right. Now, f- fast forward... Um, Fast forward to 1979, and my cousins, uh, who are clo- very close to my age, um, there's Dina, Jonathan, and, and Laura Wachowski from the Blix side of the family. The Blix and the Kravals are the ones who came uh, from Ukraine. Hmm. Um, we have Ukrainian. And, uh, my great grandfather is uh, from Kiev. Yeah, yeah. Kharkiv, so that's where the excuse Pale me. Kharkiv, Kharkiv. I apologize. Okay. But that, that's yeah, close by. Yeah. That's where the Pale of Settlement was. Yes. 
Um, so it makes sense that you'd have uh, close family members from there as, as well. Uh, so Laura, Jonathan, and Dina's family, uh, Laura subsequently passed away about 10 years ago. Um, she was only three months older than me. Oh, wow. uh, but um, they, they meet Aliyah in 1979 mm-hmm. um, to kind of reconnect with uh, certain parts of the family uh, that, that were in uh, Israel. So uh, that so now I mean uh, I've been in touch with uh, Dina and Jonathan, my surviving cousins, uh, and Sheila, her, her uh, Sheila and Alan, their parents, mm. uh, because they're obviously very engaged. Yeah. Um, now my cousins, my closest cousins, um, Laura, Jonathan, and Dina all have kids that are actively engaged in the conflict right now. So okay. I thought maybe a good way to um, mm. uh, to segue is if uh, if you just gave us a summary. Um, what the hell is happening right now? Okay. Well, um, what the hell is happening? Uh, well, certainly we, on October 7th, um, what we now know is a well-planned attack um, was launched by Hamas in, in, in a really a mass terrorist infiltration um, of Israel. Uh, attack on music festivals, kibbutzim, um, going door to door, murdering people. Obviously, we've heard about the decapitation of infants. It's so painful to have to think about the rape of women, the the murder of Holocaust survivors. Um, this had been in the works, so we understand it. Wall Street Journal had bombshell reporting, said Iran planned it. Other outlets can't yet confirm that, they say, but Iran being the chief sponsor of terrorism worldwide, really, it's hard to believe they are not behind it. Um, This was the, you know, obviously based on Israel's population was like 9 million or something. This was the largest loss of Jewish life since the Holocaust. It's getting worse. Um, I don't know what the, actually what the number is, but is it 1,500 dead or something? I, 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 in other words, it keeps changing and going up, and I'm, lo- I'm, not, I'm not, not aware of the numbers, but I think they, if to, you know, people listen to this in three days, and it's like worse. So there was mass, mass bloodshed. Um, Hamas is a, in my opinion, uh, incredibly... Um, evil organization. I think they are pure evil. Uh, of course, would differentiate between people who suffer under them because they are they they kill Palestinians too. Um, they've actually gone into other neighborhoods, which you never hear from Western media, murdering people in Arab territories too. Um, so they've done that. There's been a lot of history. You can look that up. Um, but they, you know, this was this was. Um, as as brutal an attack as any, certainly the worst since the Yom Kippur War in '73, but much more stealth. Well, I say much more stealth because that was stealth, but this was you know the, the infiltration. Obviously, there was an intelligence failure, though. I don't like to dwell on that because I feel like that takes away from what's really at hand. And um, I, I, I there'll be plenty of time to analyze. Yeah, I, I mean, I just don't feel like after nine eleven, and we know. Remember the famous memo: Bush, um, Obama, Osama bin Laden determined to strike in the U.S. It came like in August of yeah. 01. And I mean, we didn't spend all of our time after 3,000 Americans were murdered just talking about that. So I think we should right. apply that to Israel. Obviously, you know, I think that there is ne- not, there will not be a Palestinian state with people who openly don't want one. 
and it is in their interest to continue not just to murder Jews, which they don't uh, believe have a right to exist at all, but also to oppress their own people. And this is, again, not a defense of, um, of murdering anybody innocent, but I have to tell you that I uh, can't believe anybody that – that we have not seen full-throated moral condemnation, and obviously from most people we have, but that from everybody who immediately switched to Israel's the aggressor and the occupier or the colonizer. You know, for those who are listening, you can't colonize a place you're from. That, that's, that's, where, yeah. that's where Jews are from. So that's another lie um, out there. But there's a lot of lies that have gone on that I think are very important to call out, especially in the face of tremendous barbarism and barbarianism. And I think if yeah, we don't call I did, it I that – I did want to get to – Yeah, yeah. I did want to get to some of that. Um, yeah. But uh, I, I wanted to get kind of a news summary um, up to this point. Uh, and, well, the invasion uh, of ground we, war of Gaza is is uh, imminent. You know, I mean, it's, the airstrikes yeah. have started, but there will be a full ground war. The Israel's asked civilians to evacuate, um, and that's creating a refugee situation for sure. Um, yeah. Up until now, it's just been Israel planning its retaliation and fighting kind of um, I don't want to say small little battles, but you know, little pockets of resistance. But this is going to be a full scale operation. Um, that Israel is going to launch, and it will be prolonged, and it will be protracted, and I think it will get a lot worse. So, so I'm reminded, yeah. my, my friend Lisa Sharon Harper, who has a wonderful podcast called The Freedom Road. Yeah. I, honestly, just completely candidly, I was anxious about what she might say, oh. um, because um, she she does a lot of work, and I've learned a great deal from Lisa about. Um, the colonization of this continent mm-hmm. um, and and she she has she's a um, theologian um, and she talks also about the imperative of decolonizing the church which I understand they're big concepts so frankly I was I was anxious um, that what I be- began to hear even as the bombs were still falling mm-hmm. and I had not yet heard from my cousins, um, we started to see uh, imagery and propaganda about the, this col- col- you know colonialist, mm-hmm. anti-colonialist uh, framework. Lisa, to her credit, she 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 waited to to say anything, um, and um, her first uh, her her first um, expression was in sympathy to people who, to no fault of their own, were were murdered. Uh, to 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 feel as an ally with those who are suffering. Um, with those, I mean, people at a freaking music festival. Oh, for God's sake! Oh, yeah, you know. So I was, I was heartened to hear that she did have an exhortation because she must be true to herself. Uh, but her exhortation was a reminder about specific pieces of the Geneva Convention, um, and and I, I can align with that. Something very specific about that um, that the the Geneva Convention um, and, and the what what many uh, uh, established nations agreed to. Um, and I, I think that the imperative is to uh, abide by um, by these frameworks. Uh, so that that's where she was coming from, and I was encouraged by that. And I think that's true, even as a ground where you know the Isra- Israelis are, are in an impossible situation. Yeah. Um, but when I was reading her comments, number one, I was I was um, relieved mm. uh, because there is some shit out there that we'll talk about in a second. Mm. 
Um, but number two, it reminded me of something Golda Meir said, and I think it was on your show or one of your posts that you reminded me of it. Yeah. She said, you know, if the Palestinians lay down their arms, mm. we'll have peace. That's right. If we de- lay down our arms, we'll have no Israel. Correct. And that's and that, <laughs> you know, and, that, so, and I, by the way, I don't think that there is anything more salient than that point when you discuss this. And I know that that can sound like the silencing of any other voices. But if you don't have any if you if you're not sitting down at the table with people who think you have a right to exist, where do you go from there? I mean, yeah, we have and no, Israel's in an impossible. What about. is there to talk about? And Israel's in an impossible yeah. situation is a good way to put it, because that's what they're up against. And and by the way, this is very important to make a distinction. And Israel comes under criticism. And, and by the way, any country can be criticized, but Israel sent you know drops leaflets, lets civilians know to try and get out. I, I understand the argument where they're going to go, but I'm just saying Israel does not. I, I mean, I'm sure we can point to horrific exceptions as a rule, target civilians. They do their best to avoid the carnage. War, war is messy, and no one has a, a recipe where war doesn't involve death. So when people say, right. well, they shouldn't do it that way, I'm like, well, I'm not a five-star general, and neither are you. So, I, again, what, what, what do you do but in war to try to minimize casualties? However, Hamas uses their own people as shields. They place them in hospitals. They place them in schools on purpose. Um, and that is a fact. And there is a yeah. moral difference between that. So while there will be horrible loss of life in what's about to occur and what's going to get worse, um, there is something to be said for that distinction. And I think not making that distinction equates um, a democratic government in the Middle East fighting for its survival, surrounded by hostile neighbors, though it has a lot of peace agreements now, with a, with a rogue yeah. operation that, that I'm quite frankly, did they, did they abide by the Geneva Convention? I, I agree. Be the better party. But what, what they're a terrorist group. I mean, they're a mass murder organization. So, so I, I find, I mean, I, I appreciate the sentiment, and I do. Listen, the rules of war and engagement are laid out, and I, but this isn't France versus, or the U.S. and France and, it, and you know, England against Germany and Italy. I mean, it just isn't. So I don't have an answer, but it's, but I, yeah. and I don't disagree with the idea of it, but Israel is in an impossible position because it should, I mean, I do think there are people that even despite the butchery just wouldn't want Israel to respond at all. They just would like. To so say, here, here's yeah. a different question because sure. there's been screamers from both sides. You know, we're yeah. we're we're stuck in the middle somewhere, and I think we we both have different nuanced points of view. For my part, I I'd like to align dispositionally with the likes of Dr. King or Gandhi. You know, mm-hmm. nonviolent resistance. Right. Um, uh, but I find myself being much more hawkish than that in, in yeah. practical terms. Right. So there, that said, if you take that to the extreme, I've had friends of mine, guys I graduated high school with, mm. who they take the stance of bomb the shit out of all of them, flatten the whole damn thing. So where in there do you stand? Well, I'm a human being too. You know, I get worried, especially as this attack happens, as I mentioned at the outset, with such a rise in global anti-Semitism and, and anti-Semitic beliefs and attitudes across the political spectrum, by the way. This is its a real lie to say that this is exclusively a right-wing phenomenon, because it certainly is not. Um, yeah. Well, I, 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 I think Israel, in an ideal world, there would be Egypt, which is also enforcing this blockade, would help. 
as would other Arab countries, resettle refugees. I mean, I've never understood why they can't. I mean, Jordan can't. They don't want to because it's not in their interest. But Egypt and the Saudis and how about Iran? I mean, people can help here. Um, Israel could then literally pulverize the, the leadership of Hamas. When people say flatten it, I, I don't know about that. But, you know, I do have a go get him hawkish attitude. I'm mindful, though, of our principles, too, that – if we can do damage to just the bad guys to the to great extent, let's do it and avoid you know casualties. Of course, I have the Iraq War in my mind and things like that, where you're left kind of, um, what do you do now in the aftermath? Yeah. Um, I also, but but I am make no mistake. I don't want to sound wobbly, as Margaret Thatcher would say. This needs to be as strong and harsh a response as possible. I, when people ask for Israel to have a proportional response, I don't think they know what they mean because I think they would – Israelis are not going to go murder Palestinian children in their homes. That would be – you know what I mean? Like I don't think that's the answer. So I, I think Israel might have a disproportionate response because of its military and its power, but they are fighting an existential crisis. So as a yeah. Jew, I feel that existential crisis, and I say this, and you'll appreciate this, Corey. I'm sure you heard this. If the shit were to hit the fan again, right, we have a place to go. Jews did not have that after, as I posted, the Inquisition after being expelled from northern Spain and Portugal and, you know, and then being murdered in northern Africa and then the pogroms and the Pale of Settlement and then, you know. The Holocaust. Well, ending up culminating the Holocaust. There was nowhere to go. So the protection to me of the state of Israel is in Absolutely every Jew's interest, but I also think it's in America's interest, and I think it's in the world's interest because you have to have some stability in a very unstable region, and I think Israel – look what they've done in 75 years. I mean they irrigated the desert. I mean they did, and they created – they're global leaders in technology. I mean they just are, and and, and absolutely you can go into all the reasons why or why other groups haven't, but I'm just saying – I think Israel's in in need of everybody's protection, and I, I I do think they are the good guys in this. I hate to be so simplistic, but I just do. You yeah. know, um, yeah. I I don't think that again, not the Palestinian people, but they like all despotic regimes, the people suffer. You probably have seen the number of Iranian people who have literally been saying, "We stand with you, Israel. We live under yeah. theocratic mullahs who oppress us." I saw there was some guy at a, at a football game. I don't know where it was, as in as in soccer, and he was. They were all screaming, "Shove the Palestinian flag up your ass!" I was like, "Wow!" Right. I didn't know there was so much Zionism in Iran. But anyway, I, 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 you know, so I mean, that's where I am, and I, I, I can give you a human answer. I, let me add one thing, and then I, I want to sure. obviously let you continue. Um, my politics are informed by the belief that human nature is fundamentally tragic and shitty. I know it sounds mm-hmm. gloomy, but I just believe that it's why I'm sort of small C conservative on things. I don't think we can socially engineer or w- well wish our way to better a better time. We can make improvements, but I always think of a quote Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who was a famous Soviet era dissident who was in the Soviet gulags. You probably, if you yeah, haven't gulags, read yeah. read him, famously said, "I'm paraphrasing that the line between good and evil runs through every human heart, and you have to mm-hmm. know that and guard against it." And what he meant was guard against utopian thinking. You know, the idea of the Russian Revolution was going to bring perfection and it led to a lot of murder and bloodshed in the name of a means to an end idea. And I think a healthy understanding of human nature and the fact that human nature is tragic and that's constant has to inform what we do 
Meaning we can't just say, yes, but we're going back to the table for peace or yes, we need this. I don't see that happening. Not, not with, not with yeah. Hamas. It's, it's happened, as I said, Egypt, Jordan, uh, UAE, United Arab Emirates and Bahrain, right? We've got uh, Abraham Accords, the Camp David Accords and all this stuff. So I'm not saying it's that there are never diplomacy is worthless, but I think we have to be realistic about the stakes of what's going on and, um, and not pretend that that this ends well or that after this people are going to all go this is great we're fine we finally should have a two state solution and 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 Hamas is going to put their arms down to your golden Meir quote i just don't think so so yeah sorry to be gloomy yeah I'm just I, I don't have any other i can't come on a podcast my own or here and i think lie about what i think seems to be happening you know before our very eyes so yeah i i can support aggression um Individuals and, and states have a right to defend themselves, especially against atrocities, right. uh, attacks um, that de, de, uh, subhuman level of attacks. Right. I, 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 I don't understand some of the pictures yeah. that we're seeing and some of what's actually happened. And um, I, I, I don't understand it. That said, yes. uh, there is a difference between Palestinian people and Hamas, yes. the terrorists. yes. Who are inflicting uh, these atrocities? So, in, in fact, my cousins grew up with Palestinians. Of course, um, y- yeah. you know they're dear friends uh, and have collaborated with them. I've shared stories about uh, one of my cousins, civil engineer, building building sewers with them. And in fact, there was oh, yeah. a story on um, CBS Sunday Morning that was very similar to the story that I'd heard. And th- there was a, a, a new development, and um, the sewage system wasn't wasn't up to speed, and um, uh, Palestinian Jewish engineers collaborated because they had to figure their shit out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Literally, do you know? If we can figure this shit out. Figure we it can out. Figure listen, out world peace. Listen, people are people, and that my view of human nature doesn't mean people are people, and they're complex. There is a restaurant, Corey. I, for those that know, I live in LA as well. For those that don't know, Corey and I dine out here. We're East Santa Clarita, and I'm Burbank. But I, there is a restaurant, or there was. LA Times wrote about it. I might have been five years ago. It's it's an Israeli and a Palestinian chef created it together. So it's I like this it. middle, fabulous Middle Eastern mishmash of food. I just don't remember what it's called, but I wish that – see, that would be a great human interest story is to sit down and talk to them now, you know, because they both are going to have yeah. plenty of relatives in the region affected. And yeah, there's always that. So so what's really yeah. fucked me up this week, which has been yeah. harder to uh, – I don't know if you guys get the explicit reading. I hope you do because I'm, I'm just – I'm too raw to like, uh, you know, pretend that I'm going to speak on PBS today. Um, but what's really messed me up is yeah. the uh, – I, I don't know how to process what some folks uh, that are progressive – identify as progressive, identify as liberal are advocating the most illiberal things I've, I think I've ever seen. You know, I think, I think also – this might have been also something that you shared. The Black Lives Matter Chicago branch and LA. Uh, shared the – and, and L.A. with the – L.A. Uh, didn't show the paraglider, but they that they condoned Hamas. They condoned Hamas. I don't As a form, they didn't, they didn't I mean, put it in the – well, you, I mean they did. They said they, they condoned Hamas by saying this is resistance and that's what has to be. They didn't say butcher kids specifically, but they said there's no apologies when you're resisting the oppressor. You know, all this – this is progressive dogma that's really become – which I, I equate to moral rot, but that's just my view, so – or, or it's um, you say presentism. Yeah, uh, I call it a form of myopia because it's like ah, uh, you're seeing the world through as if 
your your own set of glasses and and you're forgetting about what's actually happening there and what's actually happened historically i share the story about my uncle saul Mm. people who were being butchered by cossacks and and under threat from from the czarist army who who are seeking refuge that does not a colonist make that does not a colonizer make That is not an imperialist. That's someone seeking refuge. And there's generation upon generation upon generation of my own family that I know. Um, you know, and then and then the whole racist thing that this is a white supremacy. You you know, I I, 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 mean, I didn't know lived Matt, in, right. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. And you you have some stats about the makeup of Jewish Israelis, but you know the reason that we have lighter colored skin is because we lived in a part of the world. Where, again, we were always the ones that it was okay to attack. So we lived in shtetls for 800 to 1,000 years. Probably by the time that we got there, we had much darker complexion. But the hordes from the east and the hordes from the north that had pale shades, a paler shade of skin, raped my ancestors. That's why we have a lighter shade of skin. So I, I, don't, I don't want to be – I guess the point is the point is that we're all human beings. You know, if you see one thing about me, you see that I'm male. Or maybe you see that I have a certain shade of skin. And then you, you then create a narrative about who I am and how much guilt I should feel or how complicit I must be. You're, you're fucking wrong, okay? Because we're, we're human beings here. Um, and we all have complex stories and backgrounds and heritages. And, and, and if, if, you're, if, you're, if you're taking a data point and creating a narrative and saying, you deserve the rape that's just happened. You deserve the, the, the killing, the beheading that's just happened. You deserve to be kidnapped and tortured because of this data point and this narrative that you've crafted out of thin air. You're the fucking problem. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? Oh, for sure. I'm not talking to you, obviously. I'm talking. No, to I mean, I, you've these, heard me. It's hard for me to process. Uh, this me stuff. too. Me too. I mean, so to to jump off your point about this is so well said, and and I share your. I don't want anybody to think I'm lacking passion. I'm I'm just trying to pontificate without losing my shit. Um, Chill me out, man. Because no, 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 I, 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 is- no, no, no. It, you've heard my videos. Those that hopefully will follow me after this can see, uh, and I'm not withholding anything here. I was asked at a couple of days ago, Adam, why are you being harder on the left than the right? And I said, because I expect more. Because just yeah. because I know that a Tom Cotton or a Ted Cruz, people who I have great disagreements with on almost everything can be a supporter of Israel, for the most part, certainly the far right has a horrible history of just having any affection for Jews with the, you know, the alt-right, the white nationalist movement. I don't expect anything from them. Uh, but you know, ever since really the Cold War and the a union of the Republican – of the pro-Cold War Republicans, we're about the Reagan years here, and evangelical Christians, the Republican Party made a pro-Israel stance be bipartisan. It was traditionally a democratic issue because Jews have traditionally voted democratic. Israel was created under Harry Truman. It wasn't as much of a hot-button issue before like the Six-Day War and even the Yom Kippur War. And the liberal left, you know, Israel was a socialist experiment. It was kibbutzes and, and universal health care and all this stuff. And they greatly supported this sort of idea of living as in a, uh, in a commune together, you know, the left did and so forth. Um, but these sort of academic, and I can say this because I had a lot of th- – uh, things I had to read in grad school that I just thought were worthless. I went to Brown, I studied American studies, and I would read a lot of this post-colonial theory. And uh, I mean, I, sorry to broad brush, it's just utter rubbish. It's just garbage. Mm. I mean, because it takes not the history, it takes the ideological narrative of skin color, 
right? And uses that as the jumping off point. So there's just no there's no way that a white a non-white empire could have destroyed civilization. And then you go or oppressed other people and you go, "Oh, Interesting. Have you heard of the Spanish and the Portuguese? I'm sorry. That was – have you heard of the Ming Dynasty? You know, I, I mean, you know, it goes into all this other stuff. And I, what I'm saying is I'm jumping off the point that there's this weird thing where you hear someone as vile as Rashida Tlaib say that people of color are all the same. I don't know how anybody could say that. I don't even know what people of color means. In the, and they use it so interchangeably. Palestinian and black people are the same. Well, my black and friends who if there's this- my black friends who I know and I I have real black friends unlike many white leftists who speak for them. Um, I've not got nothing but pro-Israel support, and one of them called me, and I wish I could tell you who it was. And she went, "I'm not Palestinian." It's like, what is she talking about? You know, just like yeah. pulling the hair out of their head. So I again, this is kind of a abstract academic. I think morally obscene narrative that takes the idea of sort of like American race relations and sort of graphs it on the Middle on the Middle East. When to your point yeah. about stats, folks, so uh, between Sephardic and Mizrahi Jews, I'm an Ashkenazi Jew, but between right. Jews yeah. from North Africa, from Spain and Portugal, and those who were in North Africa, Morocco, and all that, the Falashim, ma- yeah, yes, uh, more than half of those Jews are not white. They just because right. I might be white, and Corey explained our skin color is lighter for all other nefarious reasons. Ultimately, but we there there many Jews in Israel are not white, okay? And 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 again, you can't colonize a place you're from. Many many it's the, we're the descendants of many people who had lived there. So the progressive narrative, to me, when you break it down and don't fall for social justice memes, because social justice doesn't seem to have a, place at the table for Jews, right? Which mm-hmm. is odd, right? In the hierarchy of marginalized groups, somehow Jews are not. I think it's a very backward view of American race relations. I think it's informed. I do, and don't mean to sound like I think it's a lot of horrible Marxist academic goddamn bullshit dogma. And I think it's his, not just historically untrue. I think it's ahistorical, meaning without right. history. So uh, there's a, by the way, there's a great piece in the Atlantic. I think it came out today called... Um, Hama, uh, uh, progressive fl- progressives flunked the Hamas test, <laughs> and yeah. it was like you know you and and, I have and it on my- right you have your thing, and then I want to say one more thing, and so of course I know that far right people are anti-Semitic. It's this is not like oh Adam, you know you're taking them on, but you know what? When Alexandro Casio Cortez cries on the House floor and votes present for the Iron Dome, so does the squad which tried to defund it. That wasn't an attack. That was just a defense of Israeli lives. That was just a defense not from the Palestinian people but from a terrorist group. And they all voted no, and she cried to vote present. She agonized. And I, so I want to say now they're the first people to condemn Israel's response. You have a problem with Jews because mm. th- what else can this be, right? You, you, you know, it's one so thing if you backed all the context. security measures, right, and did all those other things. But they don't do that either. So, uh, again, I'm sorry to so, impute bad motives, but what – what other conclusion can I draw? Yeah, uh, I want to put a human face on this. Yeah. My cousin Sheila and her husband Alan, uh, my cousin Alan, um, eighty and eighty-two respectively. They live close enough, uh, proximate enough to where the bombing is happening, where they hear and they see yeah. the Iron Dome at work. Right. The Iron Dome has saved them. Right. It's a missile uh, radar system for those that don't know that that le- intercepts the missile before they they hit. You know. 
Yeah, and they're 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 having to shelter. Uh, they're in their shelter right now. It's not a very sophisticated one, but they have a big heavy door and they have food supply. Um, right. You know, they're they're basically having to take cover in their uh, their homemade shelter because the bombing is yeah. is close enough to them. Yeah. So um, that. And that that's like even if you don't have even if you you can't bring yourself to support um, active military engagement at the very least what the hell's wrong with a freaking shield like I I this, agree I, I was attacked by someone on Instagram I had to block I didn't know them very well they had often commented and never this way and when I posted something against AOC and Talib's inability to condemn this they accused me of hate and came at me and I just wrote. The squad, in my opinion, has put my fellow Jews and me for in danger for far too long. You know, every time there's been a, way. yes, every time Corey, there has been an a, a, a an Israel uh, Gaza um, or Israel Hamas um, uh, war, for lack of a better word. There's been a few instances of you know many many wars in the past few years. You see Jews in Beverly Hills getting attacked. You see Jews in London getting beat up. You see it happening all over. Is it causal? literally all around the world? I mean, is it certainly if it's it, it probably is causal if at, at the very least it's correlative, right? It's totally not a surprise that, uh, you know, an angry, even if it's a lone wolf person would go into a Jewish neighbor in Beverly Hills and vandalize a store as this is happening. And but who are the Americans who are speaking against Israel? It's their squad and others. You know, it's not sorry. It's not. The majority of the Republican Party, and I is again MAGA is a rot, but it isn't Donald Trump. Although he did come out this week and say horrible things about Hezbollah, so I'm never going to defend him. You know, stupid things. But but Nikki Haley, Chris Crit, look at the Republican, even Ron DeSantis, who I loathe. I mean, they are they, these are, uh, in my opinion, avatars of morality on this issue. Um, so it should be noted, however, that yeah. a good, healthy majority. Of my friends who do identify as progressive and liberal, yes, have clarity on and this. so do mine, you know, and so do that, mine. Yes, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I don't want to well, we can't uh, stereotype. make it feed into the narrative that this is what they do because another, some of my friends who are oh. big Trump fans or Fox News watchers are like, this is the liberals, well, this is I, Democratic can I, Party. Can I say this though? It's only been in this conflict in my. In, I'm talking about my young progressive friends who have really turned a corner in in the past. They, they not not this time. But whenever it was, 2018, 2019, there were pro-Palestine memes that the pro- white progressives were absolutely locking arms with Black Lives Matter, which, by the way, Black Lives Matter's charter is not, a f- is not friendly to Israel. It must be said that. That must be said. And I also think, of course, you can support Black Lives without supporting Black Lives Matter, too. But that's another debate. But Fair I, enough. Yeah. But I, but I do think that – there, there is there is a lot more solidarity from my progressive left friends because they see this now for the unadulterated evil that it is. I'm just saying, but it's always been evil. I, I mean, yes, there's yeah. more carnage, but it's always been evil. They've always murdered children and women and innocents, Hamas, I mean. So it's not – it's something's turned the corner. Maybe it's the culture that now has just come down so hard um, with moral clarity that's forced them to – I don't know. I don't know. We can't generalize. But 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 what – but – but – there are many, but most of my progressive friends will still vote for an AOC or Rashida Tlaib over a Republican, and that's where we deviate. I might not vote for either, but I would never vote for them. They will never vote for yeah. them, and I worry the Democrats are nurturing AOC. I could never vote for her, so it's right. that's a red line for me. So at the same time, you can you can the way that I'm a never Trumper because of what he represents to to people I care about and the harm he would do. I don't think. Uh, 
that that the Democratic Party, the majority of Democrats, would not vote for AOC. I think they would. That doesn't make them um, baby killers. I just mean like Fox News would say. But I think that that's questionable because I wouldn't vote for Donald. I wouldn't vote for Ron DeSantis for a lot of reasons. Yeah. So yeah. I'm not a saint. I just I just wish that that could be. Um, I hope I wish that that I believed in my heart that would be replicated uh, in kind if it existed, but I don't think so. So, so no, no way to <laughs> I know. Should have known that no this way to know. I should have known that this was going to happen because I really meant for this to be a quick hit, thirty minute, forty five <laughs> minutes max. And uh, I mean, we we could easily yes. go for another hour, oh, yeah. but I I want to I want to bring in Dawn. Oh, um, great! Because uh, because I, I feel like it, it, you know we've covered a lot of grounds here, um, but I feel like. We probably missed some stuff in the heat of the moment, sure. and I'm curious if, if Dawn, your wonderful, incredible, uh, dynamic, uh, brilliant producer. I, I, I want to <laughs> say, Dawn, before you even say so, Dawn Sorokin, all I can say is she is the executive producer and uh, really from the very, very beginning has not only believed just in Dirty Modders of Brand, but has believed in me. I could not do any of this without her, and I love to make her take the limelight. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't really like to, but I'm going to turn it over to Dawn. Dawn, what what did we for, what have we forgotten to ask of each other um, or cover in terms of commentary and news? Um, what what have we missed that that really needs to be addressed here? You know, it's such an emotional issue, and I know just you know Adam and I have been frantically back and forth because you know obviously this is a passionate thing for us individually, but also as a show, you know we're responsible for covering all of this and sharing it with our listeners and you know doing all these deep dives and I think you get really you get really deep in it and it starts to be so painful that sometimes we forget the simplicity that maybe not the average person understands about Israel. I mean, Adam can talk about it for hours and hours. He studied it. He's, he's, he's got a brilliant mind. You have your perspective too. I don't know that the average person is as deeply entrenched in the details and understand, you know, the complexities of what happened in 47 and, you know, what's in the Hamas charter and all these different things. I think on the surface, the average person is just looking at this as a really horrifying situation. And when you have, in my opinion, you know, ignorant people who try to couple the Palestinian, not the Palestinian, the Hamas, very important um, differentiator there. When people start to try to couple that with Black Lives Matter and everything else, it's like, I don't think they really understand what's really happening there. And I think that's important for people like you, Corey, and people like us at Dirty Moderate to kind of, you know, lay these things out so people are really informed as to, you know, what the actual day-to-day scenario is there. Um, yeah. You know, like look at a map. If you look at the West, West Bank, it's, you know, it's literally smack dab in like the middle of the country. And it's so you have like people that hate each other surrounded by like other people that hate them. And it's and it's complex and it's generational and it's, you know, it's families and it's it's, it's really, really disturbing. But I think when people start twisting it like Adam's favorite, the squad. Um, you know, for their own purposes, it becomes really disturbing. 
and upsetting. And I think people are going to use this in the election cycle for their own purposes. And, and that kind of makes me sick. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're underscoring the imperative that the center must hold or reemerge um, and, and remember certain basic ethical principles, yeah. you know. Um, so it, it, we do seem to lose clarity, lose um, integrity, lose ethical clarity and moral clarity um, in the heat of the moment uh, and in folks' passion to um, align with a side or put, put a certain jersey on. And, you know, I, I was talking to Yuval Levin the other day, totally name dropping there, I guess, but <laughs> I'm never above That's it. impressive. Um, I, I'm a big fan of his. Oh, man, that's, what a great conversation. And, um, you know, the, the way the way he put it was that um, it's it's not about it's not about left or right. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's not about red or blue. Mm-hmm. The degree to which we put on a jersey, he, he was I think what he said was um, he, he's always basically just regurgitating Aristotle for for present day. Um, and that is, what kind of person would I want to be? And what kind of person would I want to be in this situation? Mm-hmm. So it's about character, formation of character, mm-hmm. and the formation of character in the context of who we are as a people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so what kind of person would I want to be? And the way I, sometimes I think of it is, you know, if my grandchildren, uh, if, if I should be so blessed to have grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and they look at my behavior in this moment, would they want to uh, hide from that? Would they want to pretend that that is not their family and that's not their, not their family's history? Or would they be proud of what we stood for in this moment? Would they I mean, want to tell their children about our family's story? I think that's also a really good way to kind of frame it. If Even if you don't understand the complexities, like I said, as just as a human being, You know that like wonderful piece of art that put, you know, a a black person, a white person, a gay person, this person all behind like an x-ray and all you saw was the skeletons? Yeah. Kind of like what you were saying earlier in the podcast. Like, you know, at the end of the day, we're really kind of at our core all the same. If you can look at this issue and forget, forget who did what, forget why they were motivated to do what. But can you honestly say that no matter who it was, are you okay with storming into homes and beheading babies? Like morally, your value system as a human being, does that work for you? That's what I think people need to be asking themselves. Even if you start equivocating, well, it wasn't so many. Well, and, or, and, and remember, and remember, there's no back and forth. I don't care who it is. And to that point. When Rashida Tlaib was asked, she didn't even answer that. She, you know, yeah. if someone put a microphone in my face, I did it today, and they have asked, and they were like, uh, Adam, you've been very pro-Israel, blah, blah, blah. Well, do you support the dismembering of Palestinian children? I, I mean, it, I don't need, hey, let me get back to you guys. I'll, I'll be right back. I mean, what is there to <laughs> say? Don't need to think about that. What is there to yeah, say? Not she still couldn't say, and I know, uh, I don't know her, but I understand everything about her because I follow her because I think she represents problems in the country, but I... She couldn't even answer that. She couldn't even say, of course we should. I, I mean, it's like, I, I, that's to your point, Dawn. Like, both of you, who do you want to be? And when are you right. going to rise above? Like, that's so deeply, you know, 
um, uh, it's so morally odious to not be yeah. able to answer that. Even if you have, I don't know if that's her base or what, who she's speaking to, some people back home, it's odious, right? If Israelis had done this, had gone on a massive killing spree of children, I would be horrified, but I would have to condemn it. I just, as much yeah, as so I, I just would. I mean, I anyway, yeah. I, I, um, I, like I said, I, I feel like we could go for another hour, but I do want to land the plane, and I'd love for both of you to answer what I call the TPNR question. Okay, sure. Um, and uh, that is, we've sort of been talking about this the whole time, but it, it also it'd be interesting because you've been doing this work. I'm really interested in your talk of politics and religion without killing each other, yeah. your perspective. What do you think each of us can do to be able to share space with, have better conversations with, perhaps even nurture relationships with people across our differences? I, and I'm wondering, too, if there are chasms that we just can't cross. It sounds like there might be, but that it means people who think differently than we do, who have different beliefs than we do, who get their news from different sources than we do. How can we do better at talk of politics and religion without killing each other? Or is it even possible? Adam, you want to go I mean, first? You want yeah, to yeah. I, 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 I've thought a lot about this, you know, because when um, Dawn goes by D, we call her D. When D and I were talking <laughs> earlier in the week, you know, about how to address this, because this is such a red line for me, I, I brought it back to what I said at the beginning is that if we're a pro-democracy podcast, we have to be pro-democracy. And that's here's here's how to, here I'm, I'm answering your question. I think that, Disagreeing on views and 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 uh, beliefs is different than disagreeing on fundamental principles. So uh, we host a lot of people we disagree with. But for example, one of the things in our charter has been not to have on people who will lie about the election because that violates a fundamental principle of our commitment to democracy. I would love to have on, and we've talked about it, you know, somebody who would be potentially, um, who might even come at it with a deeper view of, let's say, or deeper uh, tilt even toward Palestinian history, not Hamas, Palestinian history, but yet condemned it morally and then broke it down from a different point of view. I mean, there's even a world where that could exist, but there is not a world, I don't think, and I think that that's okay, to have somebody come on who, even if they were just a mainstream politician or thinker, couldn't justify the butchery that Hamas committed. I, I don't know that sitting down with them, I'm not sure where I go from there, because that is a principle, in my opinion, not a just a belief that could change or a viewpoint. So if I'm hearing you correctly... Yeah. It's important to have the conversations across our differences, but you have your boundaries. You have well, your limits. I, I mean, don't you? I mean, I don't. I don't. We don't have Marjorie Taylor Greene on our show because well, I have nothing. I have nothing. I don't think she actually has anything valuable to say. That doesn't mean CrossFit. We can talk about CrossFit. <laughs> I mean, there's just people that are, you know, I don't have the MAGA clowns on because I just don't, you know, I mean, they're, they're defending, in my opinion, the indefensible. And there's different degrees yeah. of indefensible, obviously, but there's that too. But I don't know. That's – Dawn, what do you think? Do you think that there's – I mean, I think, I think the first thing is to do exactly what we're all doing, which yeah. is we are all putting ourselves out into the ether – and encouraging dialogue, encouraging conversations and encouraging, you know, people to come on and just talk the hard stuff. I mean, 
kind of in the name of your podcast, Corey, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's what we do. And no, we, we do, you know, we do have like some rules, a, a dirty moderate. No, we're not going to have, we're never Trump. We're never Hamas, you know, but we want to hear everybody's thoughts. So I think what, what to do is exactly what we're doing. Encourage the dialogue. Um, I think it's the way that everybody is so black and white right now. The nuance is just gone. Everybody is just kind of put the, I love how you say like wear the Jersey, you know, Mm. like, you know, you put the Jersey on or you put your rock and roll t-shirt on. Right. And that's my band. That's my team, whatever it is. But I think if you're going to put the Jersey on, you have to know at least three songs from the band. Right. That's my rule. I have two kids. They're not allowed to wear a band T-shirt unless they can, you know, actually talk about the band and name three songs. That's, that's, that's a fair. great. That's so great. I think it's I the same it. thing with a teen. Don't wear a yeah. jersey, whatever. Don't sit here and talk about something in such grandiose terms that you know every. If you if you really aren't, don't wear the jersey if you can't talk about the team. So you just reminded me education. of. Um, yeah. You just reminded me of something that sounded erudite when I was reading it. It was an objection to one of our L.A. City Council people, uh, a, 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 actually someone I knew in, in an earlier career, or earlier part of her career, uh, Councilwoman uh, Horvath, Lindsay Horvath. Um, they objected to her, you know, s- s- expressing support for Israel. And they said, you know, when white colonizers oppress um, indigenous peoples for so long, it's more like blaming prisoners in the unjust carceral system for rising up against their, you know, yeah. uh, those who are, are imprisoning them. I'm like, this is exactly the wrong framework. If you want to use the indigenous people uh, framework, okay, but use it uh, accurately. So it's more like the Lenape people who are uh, fighting with the Sioux, you, you, you know, because the Jews, like, as if we're all descendants of King Charles. Like, I, I don't understand how this, you know, <laughs> where you're getting your, your illustration. Um, but e- even the Lenape and Sioux isn't fair because they were much more admirable <laughs> than some people who are showing their asses right now. Um, but we, we've gone on uh, way too long about this for the purposes uh, that we normally do. I don't know how long your episodes normally are, but I try to hit like... One hour and seven minutes is like our sweet spot. But this is worthy of uh, more discussion, of course. I feel like we can hop on tomorrow and, and go for another hour and a half. Um, Sadly, the topic so, won't go away. So you may have to have Adam back again. Yeah. Yeah. And you. And you. <laughs> um, so be, before we go, Adam, how can folks uh, follow you, find more information about Dirty Moderate? Uh, do, do you have, do, should we be following you, D? <laughs> no, you should be following the show. We are Dirty Not Dirty Moderate Nation. We're at Dirty Moderate Nation on TikTok, and Adam does some really fun, like interesting TikToks. Um, always informative, always entertaining. And then we are at Dirty Moderate on Twitter. Um, our Substack is lit. We have so many different great essays and so much stuff going on there, and we have an incredible um, plan for the election cycle, which is starting up basically, as we all speak. And this topic, uh, you know, like I said, it's not going away anytime soon. So we're going to be obviously incorporating um, what's happening in Israel into the work that we do moving forward as we continue on covering the election and the presidential cycle and all of the, you know, the DC shit show that we're all living through right now. <laughs> the DC shit show. We didn't even get to that. Holy I know, God. right? Um, <laughs> 
Congress. We didn't even talk, touch upon what's happening in Congress. Well, you can find uh, this show on all the major apps. Just type in "talking" without the G at the end and politics, uh, T-A-L-K-I-N apostrophe, politics, and it usually just comes up on any app. Or you can go to our main site, which is politicsandreligion.us. It's www.politicsandreligion.us. You can find me online, too. That's where a lot of um, I pontificate. i got to ask you guys about Substack. Because uh, I, I think it might be good to get more active there and share uh, more extensive thoughts there. But you can find me, Corey S. Nathan, at C-O-R-E-Y, S as in Sam, Nathan, at Corey S. Nathan. Um, Dawn, Adam, I, I really love you guys. I love the work that you're doing. I really feel a kinship with you. And um, I'm so grateful to be, uh, to be able to call you guys friends. So thanks, thanks for doing thanks. it. And we're excited to share you with our listeners. And uh, we encourage everybody to, to go and listen to Corey and not just this episode, but he's got some amazing guests in his catalog. And you're always doing such great, thought-provoking, interesting, meaningful work. And we're, we're, we're big fans for we sure. Are. Yeah. Thanks, Corey, Thank so for that. Much. And Corey, also, everyone should know you're one of our earlier guests when we first started. That's true. Yeah, you can go back to oh, that's right. the deep dive. The OG <laughs> Got to go Corey, listen to that episode. episode. Season one. Season one. Season one. That's right. There you go. Yep. There you go. All right. So uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for bearing with me. I, I think I let myself get a little bit more passionate than I normally okay. do at one, one or two points. But uh, I should remind myself, go talk some politics and religion with gentleness and respect, you dirty moderates, and have a great week. 